when there's lights on this thing, I can't see it. Okay, it's now February 3rd in Mayapur, and we're doing Bhakti Shastri, and we're doing Attitude Towards Vaishnavas, and they were supposed to get me a nectar of instruction, and they didn't. I asked for a whole bunch of things that I didn't get today. Uh, anyway. I mean, I know people who are just really, really good at memorizing and really, really good at taking tests. And they get 99 on the Bhakti Shastri exam. That doesn't mean that they're a better devotee than someone who's not very good at memorizing and not very good at taking tests. One thing that I, that I learned in education is that whenever you're assessing somebody, whenever you're testing somebody, you're partially testing them on the material and you're partially testing them on the form of the test. So if most of your grades are essays, those of you who know how to write good essays will end up getting better grades. So you're partially being tested on how well can you write an essay, and you're partially being tested on how well do you understand the answer to this question. And that's unfortunate. I wish I could also base the grade on the presentations you've done in a class. Because those may, also, those may show equally or better how well you understand something. Does that make sense to all of you? And like the exams you're going to have, these simple, they're just what we call knowledge exams, they're just information exams. That's basically testing how well you can memorize. It's, the, it's testing how well you can memorize and how well you understand the psychology of, of test taking. And it's, it's testing that about 70 or 80% and only 20 to 30% is it testing how well you know the material. So the ideal situation is when we have a variety of means of assessment. Then I also had to deal with the fact that a lot of you, for a lot of you, English is not your first language. So anyway, I tried to, I tried to compensate for that. I hope I did okay. And if I didn't, please excuse me. All right. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm, um, I have very high standards as a teacher. That's good. Well, usually. Usually. Okay. So what we're going to discuss today is just a, a few basic points. I wanted to just have sort of an open general discussion on a few points rather than my teaching a class or rather than you giving presentations. So these are the questions that I have here are from the list you have. I didn't bring my book. But if you look at, at Unit 7, that page with the really faint small type, Of all the aims, there you go. Yeah, but is that for you to sit in? No, no, no. I, I just I want you to use it. That's unit six. A page like this for unit seven. Oh, okay. Yeah, that page. I told a true Krishna guru that when you put things in light, small font, it tells people not to read it. <laughs> I guess that we're all trained that a light, small font you don't have to read. Okay, what page is that? One oh eight. It's the auspicious one oh eight. So we're going to be looking at a few things from this page today. Tomorrow, so you can prepare for tomorrow with all the oodles of time you have today. Just don't sleep today. So tomorrow, we're going to, we're going to be going over the qualities listed in chapter 16, text 1 through 3, 
and chapter 13, text 8 to 12. At the very least, can you hand me your book for a second? At the very least, what I'd like you to do, there's pages here, pages 102, 103, 104, and 105. So the absolute minimum I want you to do by class tomorrow is read those four pages. That is the absolute minimum. That will take you 10 minutes, 15 minutes. How long will it take you to read those four pages? Fifteen minutes. Okay, somewhere between five and fifteen minutes, maybe twenty if you really struggle reading English. So read those four pages. Even if you have to stay up an extra fifteen minutes tonight or before class tomorrow, read those four pages. If you can, go to the Bhagavad Gita and read. It's, it's really just two verses in purports because it's combined. Eight to twelve is combined and one to three is combined. They're long purports. They're several pages long. If you can read those purports for chapter 13, text 8 through 12, again, it's just one purport, and chapter 16, text 1 through 3, if you can read those purports, that would be the best. Because we're going to be, what I'm going to be doing tomorrow is dividing those up and asking people to give presentations on the different qualities. Thirteen, eight to twelve. And chapter 16, 1 through 3. So what I'm going to be doing is asking, okay, you take this quality, you take this quality, you take this quality, you take this quality. And then we're going to be doing presentations a lot like what we did before where I asked you to talk about behavior, thoughts, and feelings, thinking, feeling, and willing with that quality. What does it look like? What would a person do if they have that quality? What would they be doing? What would they be thinking? What would they be feeling? Thank you for coming today. No, no, I'm just amazed anyone came today. Thank you for coming today. I'm surprised I'm here today. Okay, is that clear for tomorrow? Everybody clear? Yes, no, maybe so? And tomorrow we'll meet our regular time, 10.45 to 2. Okay, we'll meet also outside because I'm not going to be using the computer. Like the first thing that they've asked us to talk about here is to discuss appropriate attitudes towards senior devotees in temple. In temple, must be written by an Indian. Indians leave out the thes and the us. Towards senior devotees in temple who have not, I suppose this also applies to senior devotees out of the temple, who have not completed Bhakti Shastri Juri, not completed a Bhakti Shastri Juri. With reference to Sri Upanishad Mantra 10. So Sri Upanishad Mantra 10 is really the same thing as what verse in Bhagavad Gita? Sri Upanishad Mantra, Mantra 10 is the same as what Bhagavad Gita? 13a through 12. 13a through 12. Okay, we have some people here who've turned in essays. I know you're Esther. And you're? Huh? Kyla. Did you turn any essays? Not yet. And you're? Amrita? No. Karunika. Sorry that I, I, I needed name tags on everybody. Okay. Here's a Karunika. You turned in something, right? Yes, she did. Two. I might not have corrected them yet. But one there was a few. I did yeah, correct yeah. one. 
Whose is this now? There's there's like four or five sitting there that I haven't corrected yet. No, I'm so sorry. It was just one of those. Here you go. Please read my comment there carefully. Was that it, or did you did you turn another one? Yes, I did another. You did another. Okay, Amrita, Rangavati, Mandakini, Madurangi, Rangavati, Anuradha. Ah, okay. There you go. And Esther, please ask everyone else what I said about essays. Okay, if you weren't here for my little talk about essays, please um, ask the other students what I said about essays. And hopefully they'll be able to remember. All right, so how should you treat other devotees who don't have, whether they're in the temple or out of the temple, who don't have a bhakti shastri? They're senior to you, which I guess means that they've been chanting Hare Krishna longer than you. What do we mean by senior anyway? Why don't we talk about that? What's a senior person? Someone who's been hanging around ISKCON for a long time, like a tree. <laughs> well, who else is senior, yeah? Well, there are several um, criterias by which one can be senior. And the first one is age. So that's natural. So just one. if they're older than you. Yeah. Okay, and that's natural in any society. Yeah. And then you have uh, how long they're chanting, time of initiation, senior by, cha by chanting, by initiation, senior by position, senior by... Uh, by position, so if they're like if they're the temple president. President, they're senior, and uh, senior by advancement, by actual spiritual advancement. So there are like six criteria. Did you come up with that yourself? I just finished the Bhaktisara chapter. Oh, oh. <laughs> I didn't intend. So that was what he said? One of the things. Yeah. That was one of the things. He said there were six criteria. All right. So that was by age. What did he say? By age? Initiation. initiation. Time of chanting Hare Krishna. That doesn't have to necessarily be the... Because they could have been chanting for ten years before yes. they got initiated. Oh, so. Or time joining Krishna consciousness. That's the same point. Okay, so age... Time joining ISKCON or starting to chant. When they got initiated. Position. Position. And actual advancement. That's only five. And he said managerial. Position. position. That's position. yeah. There was two about, two about position. There was two about position. What's the difference? Oh, so you, okay, so you might be a sannyasi who has no managerial position. Yeah, yeah. or you. So there's some other kinds of... Who's staying in the dom? Who's staying in the dom? Oh. oh. Did you add that? I didn't take That's true. We do offer special respect to people who stay in the dom, even if they're fallen. People. The advancement one is a little tough, isn't it? I mean, I've seen a problem with uh, people who are born in the movement. So you're born in the movement. Anyone else you're born in the movement besides you? Here today. Not here, not today. So I've seen a problem because I've done a lot of work with, you know, 
like almost 30 years working with people born in the movement, is that if you're born in the movement and you've always followed the principles and you've been chanting since you were, you know, one, obviously not 16 rounds since you were one, and you've been chanting rounds, you know, since you were 11 or something, and you're now 22, you're often treated like a 22-year-old who joined the movement yesterday. And I've seen that there's, you know, you're basically a 20-year devotee, but you're not treated generally like a 20-year devotee. And that's, I, I see that as a, a real problem in our movement. Because you have a big, a small body or, or children in Krishna consciousness? Well, it's the, because the, it's look at all those criteria. You're, you're young, you probably have, don't have any position, you might not even be initiated, or you just recently got initiated. So the only ones you've got is, you know, how long you've been in ISKCON, how long you've been practicing Krishna consciousness. I have a question. There's one devotee who is not being initiated, but she is on the top level. Madhuri Bhattacharya. I don't know her. Just explain about her. I don't know who she is. This Madhuri Bhattacharya, she got initiation from Padupa, Jopar, in her dreams. But she since long she's serving Iskon in the main body. She's the main queen of the I don't know her personally at all. There's a sign in the temple. Yeah, there's, oh, there's a, a sign. sign. Oh thank you. Her. Not Well there's a it says in Chaitanya Charitamrita that initiation is not absolutely necessary. The holy name is independent. But Prabhupada says there that, generally speaking, for a conditioned soul, without initiation, without second initiation, without chanting the Gayatri Mantra and worshipping the deity, that making advancement just by chanting the holy name is very difficult because you won't be properly purified to chant the holy name. That's where Rupa Goswami in Nectar Devotion, what, of the 64 items, what are the three most important? Not the five most potent, but the three most important. Approaching a spiritual master and? Following his instructions. Yes. Approaching, following, and initiation. So he's giving those as the three most important. Initiation is a commitment. It's like being married or like enrolling in a school. You know, you make a commitment. Just like you enrolled in the Bhakti Shastri course and you register and you pay some money. You know, you're making a commitment. Therefore, Krishna also makes a commitment. So to, to make a significant advancement without initiation is very, 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 very difficult. It's possible. It's certainly possible. You could become a pure devotee without being initiated. But why? Possible. How advanced she is, I don't know. I've never met her. I can't say anything about it. I have no idea whatsoever. I never met the woman. What about this second initiation? I mean... There are different opinions, and for example, in some places. Is this useful discussion for everybody? No. Okay. Yes. No. <laughs> okay, I don't have to go there. I, I don't really have to go. Can you all hear what she said? Um, well, it's it's interesting because I was just with a group of devotees researching this, and I think this is relevant not so much in some ways, oh. really, to the nectar of instruction, because in the nectar of instruction, how are the um, Kanista, Majjama, and Uttama Adhikari is delineated. Or why don't we ask, what are the 
and I know this wasn't the topic for today, but we'll get to these. It's, it's relevant because we're asking about attitude towards senior devotees, so I think it's very relevant. So can you please tell me what are the different ways that we can understand Nista, Majima, and Uttama? And I'm supposed to write on flip charts and have things on them. Shastri. What does Rupa Goswami give in the nectar of instruction? Knowledge, faith, concentration. That's devotion. Okay? Let's look at nectar devotion, nectar of instruction, and we'll look at Prabhupada's purport in Ishapanishad. So what it, let's give me any of these. Tell me tell me it and tell me where it goes. So we've got nine things here. Somebody give me one and tell me which box it goes in. Yes. Only worships the Only worships the Where does that go? In, oh, sorry, Kanista. Um, and it's from Nectar of Instruction. Right that it's Kanista, wrong that it's from Nectar of Instruction. No, Isha. Yes. <laughs> Good. <coughs> By the way, these don't all match each other. Okay? So from Isha to Kanista is only worships, sees God in the deity. Only in the deity. Only in their temple. Only in their temple. Remember that? God's only in a Sunni Muslim temple. Mosque. God's only in an Iskan temple. And what else? What else goes here? Doesn't do what? What are the other things here? She doesn't see the devotees as like part and parcel of Krishna, just they're like a bit of a hindrance. Yeah, okay, fights and quarrels. On the lowest level, this person's actually, they're actually fighting with guns. Hmm. On the lowest canister level, they're actually shooting people from other religions. So they don't know how to treat other living entities. Okay, some other box. Okay, weak faith in Shastra. Weak faith, weak knowledge. Okay, another box. Oh, Madhyam makes discrimination. Which, which, which? Okay. NLD, he has, uh, he has strong, fa strong faith, but cannot convince others. And uh, he makes discrimination between the innocent, the... Where is that from? That's from NOI, Nectar of Instruction. No, Isha. That's all that's left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so he makes discrimination between the innocent, the demons, 
the god and the devotees. And one more. Innocent demons. Innocent. Yeah. God, he loves innocence, he helps, devotees he make friends with, demons he avoids. Okay, yes. somebody else, give me another square. One of these is also mentioned in the 11, the Prabhupada references the 11th canto, I think it's this. Okay, we still have four boxes. Symptoms of Uttamata Kari, there's two symptoms. Does it say Gayatri? Yes. In the text? There's Diksha. Diksha means Gayatri. Oh. Diksha means Gayatri. Where is that? Which box? It's a Upanishad and extra instructions. I still have a question about that guy. Oh, we're not finished yet. Okay, sorry. What goes here? Free from criticize. Yes. Free, not just from criticizing, free from the propensity to criticize. So it's not just that no criticism comes out of the mouth. Heart is free. The heart is free. And what else? One more. Where are we? Give. What's the other thing Rupa Goswami gives? That's first person. Undeviated devotional service. It's interesting that Rupa Goswami, the only quality of a devotee he picks out is free from the propensity to criticize others. That's really, 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 really interesting, isn't it? Of all the 26 qualities of a devotee, of all the qualities Krishna mentions in Bhagavad Gita, 
all the qualities mentioned in the Shastra, the only one he picks out for the Uttamadakari is free from the propensity to criticize others. It must be pretty important. And undeviating devotional service, but as far as a, like a subsidiary quality. Now, these things are not all equivalent. In other words, someone here may not necessarily have also this and this. Somebody here may not also have this and this, and somebody here may not also have this and this. It's not that a kanista has all these, and a majima has all these, and a majima has all these. It's something like if you wanted to talk about how mature somebody is. If you're looking at a child and you want to say, how mature is that child? How close is that child to being an adult? So what are the different things that you could look at? What are the different aspects of growing up? Physically. Mentally. Mentally. How they interact with other people. Socially. Self-control. Intellectually, okay? So you could look at physically, you could look at emotionally, you could look at intellectually, you could look at socially. Do you forget one thing there? Could be. What's that? Uh, I think it's NOI that, that Kanishta, that Madhyam serves Vaishnav. Because, I don't think so. Because I, I'm, I may, may be wrong, I'm not sure from which of the books is it, but... He, ser- he, he, he chants and he serves Vaishnavas. No? Could be. I, I don't recall that. But if you could find that. Because we just did it over there. Sorry. There are other descriptions sometimes yeah, in other purports, yeah. but these are the three main okay. that, are, that are given. Um, you, you will find that Srila Prabhupada doesn't repeat the NOI one very often. I, I don't find that Prabhupada in his purports and his lectures mm. often repeats the one that Rupa Goswami gives in NOI. Mm. I see that he more like more often repeats this one, which is I believe from the eleventh canto, which he has in the Isho purport, mm-hmm. and he repeats the one that Rupa Goswami gives in, in Nectar Devotion. Um, we should also note that the one in Nectar Devotion is actually a little different from the others. Although Srila Prabhupada uses the same Sanskrit term in all places. So Srila Prabhupada will always use Kanista Adhikari. What does Adhikar mean? Qualification. Qualification, like we pray to Tulsi every day. Seva Adhikara Dhyat. Which we translate, please give me the privilege of devotional service. It's please give me the, the qualification. Please make me, as Bhakti Nautakur analyzes the Maha Mantras, please make me fit to serve you. Make me, make me qualified to serve you. So Rupa Goswami there is talking about the qualification for taking up pure devotion. And actually he's talking about the qualification for taking up Vaidhi Sadhana Bhakti as a preliminary to pure devotion. Did you talk about this with your Nectar Devotion class? One problem with having different teachers is I'm never sure what you talked about and what you didn't talk about. So basically, because Vaidhi Bhakti is based on the rules of the of the scriptures. Raganuga Bhakti is based on your heart. And Vaidhi Bhakti is based on the regulation of scriptures. 
So in order to perform Vaidhi Bhakti, you have to have faith in the scriptures, right? Your qualification to perform Vaidhi Bhakti is directly related to how much you believe the scriptures. If you don't have faith in the scriptures, why will you follow them? Why would I follow something I have no faith in? So how much faith you have in the scriptures shows how qualified you are to take up Vaidhi Bhakti. And of course, Raganuga Bhakti is a higher stage that after having faith in the scripture and after being willing to follow the scripture, then one's spontaneous feelings start to awaken. Although there are some groups of Gaudiya Vaishnavas who have a different opinion. Uh, specifically some of the Radhakund Babaji's. They have a different opinion. They say you don't do Vaidhi Bhakti first, you start with Raghunuga. You can start with Raghunuga Bhakti. So just to let you know, there are people who preach that. Uh, but anyway, that's why the Kanista Majjhima and Uttama is, is defined in the Nectar devotion by how much faith you have in the Shastra. If I have weak faith in the Shastra, then it's going to be a lot harder for me to perform bhakti based on the Shastra. When I get a, a rule from the Shastra, I'll say, why do I have to follow that? I don't want to follow that. I don't feel like following it. I don't feel like it. Remember we talked a lot about a map? So if I don't have faith in the map, just like sometimes those GPSs, the sat-navs, whatever you call them. Yes. So I've been in a car with people where their sat-nav says to do something, and they know the area very well, and they say, oh, I know, I have a better way. Turn that off. So if you don't have faith in the Shastra, you'll say, you know, I know a better way to do it. I don't have to follow the Shastra. And therefore, it's very difficult to perform Vaidhi Sadhana Bhakti because you'll just make up your own thing. You know, you just do something sentimental. And NOI is very interesting because in one sense, the first two things don't seem to be talking about levels of advancement at all, do they? Hmm. They seem to be talking about externals. The last thing, Uttama, is definitely talking about a level of advancement. Undeviating devotional service. I've just been listening to this conversation where Prabhupada said, pure devotion means nothing will stop it. <laughs> Impure devotion, something happens, say, oh, now I'm not going to do my, I'm not going to serve Krishna anymore. Okay, I'm done. You know, my husband left me, okay, I won't serve Krishna anymore. Somebody in the temple yelled at me, okay, I won't serve Krishna anymore. I prayed to Krishna for money, he didn't give it to me, I won't serve Krishna anymore. Or the opposite, you know, now I just got a billion dollar inheritance from my parents. What do I have to serve Krishna for? I had one godbrother that happened to. It wasn't a billion, but it was millions. His parents died, and they died in a plane crash. He got millions of dollars, and he was gone. What do I need to serve Krishna for? Millions of dollars. So interrupted. You know, my service becomes interrupted, either by material happiness or by distress. So, therefore, the pure devotee is one who is undeviated. No matter what happens, they still love Krishna. In this conversation, Prabhupada was saying that Arjuna didn't ask for some magic formula to get rid of all of his troubles. He had to fight. He didn't say, Krishna, please give me some magic ashes that I can throw on the battlefield and all my enemies will be automatically defeated. And Prabhupada said that, who are we in comparison to Arjuna? So we should not expect that there's going to be no failures or that there's going to be no difficulty. There'll be bodily difficulty, there'll be mental difficulty, there'll be failures, there'll be enemies, and still we go on serving Krishna. 
It doesn't mean you always stick to the same service if your authorities tell you to change your service. But you always serve Krishna. You're always chanting, you're, and you always have a favorable attitude, right? Anukulena and Krishna Anushilana. I always think favorably towards Krishna. Like Subhadra's only child was killed on the battlefield of Kurukshetra, Avimanyu, practically in Krishna's presence. And it said the color of her devotion for Krishna didn't change one bit. Didn't say, okay, now I'm not going to be devoted to you, Krishna, because you let my son die. So that's undeviated devotional service. Nothing can stop it. There's lots of love songs like that in the world. I'm sure you've all heard them, except fortunate people like you. Maybe you haven't heard them. <laughs> so, you know, I love you so much. They're, they're, what was one of them? Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you, babe. You know, but that's actually not true because there is a mountain high enough and a river wide enough that, you know, you won't love your babe anymore. <laughs> It really is. You know, if there's enough obstacles in the way, you'll quit. But people have some idea about what love is. People have some idea that no matter what mountains and what rivers and what oceans, and I'm still going to love you. Of course, in this world, other jivas are not, we shouldn't, we shouldn't even give that kind of a love to another conditioned jiva. You'll be really sorry if you do. You'll just cry. <laughs> if you think another conditioned jiva is God. <laughs> But anyway, that's undeviated devotional service. And free from the propensity to criticize. Criticizing others comes from envy. envy. It's, all, it's pretty much all envy and fear. Envy and fear. And envy and fear are the root of our material disease. Now, of course, sometimes you have to criticize people if you're an authority. Like I went in and told the people they weren't cleaning the bathroom right. But that's it's different. Correction, isn't it? Yes. You don't have a, an envious mood yeah. toward the other person. So you have to criticize. You and better motivation. criticize your daughter sometimes. And motivation. Yes. You better criticize your son sometimes. That's your job. Well, that's it. You have to do that. <laughs> and your husband? <clears throat> sometimes. Gantari criticized her husband sometimes. And your husband should criticize you sometimes. Yes. That's his job. If, if, but what about fear? If you never, um, why also fear? I think one reason that we criticize is that we're trying to make ourselves seem good and important. And we're afraid if I, if I don't criticize, then how will I think well about myself? There's many people who try to think well about themselves by criticizing others or by criticizing themselves, which is interesting. Many people are very self-critical as a way to feel good about themselves, which is interesting. But it, it's, you know, I'm, I'm afraid that I won't be a good, worthy person. I, I think there's also some fear that I won't have any discrimination. That if I'm not critical, then I'll lose my discrimination. I won't know what's good and what's bad anymore. I'll just be a foolish person that accepts everything as good. So I think also we criticize to some extent out of fear. That we, we don't see how can I be discriminating without envy. But if you don't have the propensity to criticize, that means you have no envy. All right. Uh, and then the last one, which we're not going to talk about today, that last one uh, is really looking at levels of advancement. The one from Ishopanishad, which I believe is also in the 11th canto, is really looking at, at really, really looking at consciousness at all three levels. What is your consciousness? What is your awareness? And of course, a lot of what's in Ishopanishad, especially in mantras, what? Talks about the vision of an Uttama Adhikari. Which mantras? Four through eight. Four through eight. All right. 
Now, we're just going to, this was a very long roundabout way of getting back to what we were talking about, which is you said how important is second initiation. So, and about seniority, because Rupa Goswami is saying that the Kanisa Adhikari has first initiation and the second, the, the Majjhima Adhikari has second initiation. Traditionally, traditionally, there was only one initiation. Traditionally, Diksha meant Gayatri. And there's five parts of Diksha, which I probably can't remember all of them. One of them is Nam, which can mean either you get a name, or it can also mean that you're given a name of Krishna to chant like the Hare Krishna mantra. One of them is Tapa, that you do some sort of Tapasya, which is, of course, our vow for the four regulated principles, but also once you do some service. Uh, one of them is getting Gayatri mantra, hearing the mantra. One of them is being taught deity worship, and I can't remember the last one. But there's five aspects to it. And what Srila Prabhupada did, and he wrote about this especially in some letters to people, is the, this, the Shastric standard in the Hari Bhakti Vilas is that the guru and disciple should test each other for one year before Diksha occurs. And Hari Bhakti Vilas says there's no other way to determine whether or not you should take Diksha but mutual testing for one year. So what Srila Prabhupada did is he said that he was giving initiation to people who were not brought up in Vaishnav culture. <coughs> most of the people Prabhupada initiated were not raised in Vaishnav culture. A few were, but most were not. You know, there's toward the end Prabhupada started initiating more people who were brought up in India in, in good families, but especially in the beginning of the movement. I mean, he had that one disciple in India who was uh, what's it, Charya Prabhakar, but he was, was never active. And so Prabhupada said that what he did was he broke the traditional diksha into two halves. He broke it in half. And he would give the first half after six months and the second half after another six months. So that was generally Prabhupada's principle. So first you're chanting 16 rounds, following the principles, you know, attending Mangalarati, reading Bhagavatam, doing service for six months, and then he would give part of diksha. He'd give you your name, and, you would, and your tapasya. And then after another six months of following that, then he gave the rest. So really, diksha is not complete until you have the Gayatri Mantra, according to Shastra. And Prabhupada does really emphasize the importance of getting Gayatri Mantra. Now, at the same time, it does say, Rupa Goswami says, and it's quoted in Chaitanya Charitamrita, that one can achieve perfection without diksha. That Harinam is so powerful that you can achieve perfection without diksha. Traditionally, Harinam initiation is not a formality. If you think about, say, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu just goes to the Buddhists and says, chant Hare Krishna, and then the Prabhupada says he initiated them into the chanting of the Hare Krishna mantra. And there's a nice letter to a girl named Andrea Temple, also in that regard. So basically, if you go up to someone and you say you should chant Hare Krishna, you're technically, traditionally, you are initiating them into the chanting of the Hare Krishna mantra. So if we're going to analyze what Rupa Goswami's use of the word diksha, we have to analyze his use of the word diksha in terms of the tradition, which Prabhupada adjusted a little bit. So if you try to take what Rupa Goswami says and just put it on what happens in ISKCON now, it, it doesn't quite fit. So Rupa Goswami says, anyone who's chanting the holy name, you respect this kanista. Anyone who's received diksha, which means the full diksha, full Gayatri mantra, and who's worshiping the deity, because you're not supposed to worship the deity until you have diksha. The, the mantras to worship the deity are given in the Gayatri mantra. 
and are given a diksha. So generally speaking, one doesn't worship the deities until they have diksha. Of course, Prabhupada was, was said he was doing imitation worship of deities when he was a child. But that wasn't regular worship. And there are a few letters where Prabhupada says that people without second initiation can worship deities. But in Prabhupada's purpose, he says people should be initiated to worship the deities. So, and when I joined ISKCON, we were really discouraged from having our own deities. Of course, we all lived in ashrams where there was a temple deity. So Rupa Goswami is saying one who's received diksha and who's worshipping the deity because deity worship is part of receiving diksha. In fact, Prabhupada says in Chaitanya Charitamrita that the diksha gurus were generally in what ashram? Traditionally, diksha gurus were in what ashram? No. Grahastas. Because the grahastas worship the deities. Sannyasis generally did not worship the deities. Because sannyasis are traveling. How do you engage? Deity worship means you have to have money. You have to have money. You have to have facility. So generally the sannyasis didn't worship deities. I mean, we have like the Goswamis. They, they, some, some of them were worshiping, like Rupa Goswami worshiping his deity under a tree. But generally they established, they had other grahastas established temples and worship the deities. But Prabhupada says in that purport that because Vaishnav sannyasis are also engaged in deity worship, they can also give diksha. But the standard is that the grahastas give diksha because they could train the disciples in deity worship. But, you know, in ISKCON we often think usually the sannyasis give diksha, but, well, even a grahasta can give diksha. Actually, that's backwards. It's grahastas give diksha, and even a sannyasi can give diksha. That's actually the, the tradition, if you look at the tradition. Anyway, so diksha is connected with deity worship. So if you think of it uh, as Rupa Goswami talking from a tradition, diksha is someone who's made a commitment. Someone who's taken vows, someone who's made a commitment. Harinam is someone they're chanting, they're engaged in the process, but they haven't made a commitment. What is a commitment? A vow, a promise. That's like the difference between you're thinking you might marry somebody, maybe you'll marry them, and you actually marry them. Of course, nowadays when people get married, it doesn't mean much either. But Didn't they give the vow when we think? No, there was no such thing as first initiation. No, no, I mean now. Now, yes. That's why I'm, that's why I said okay, that Rupa Goswami's categories fit. don't exactly fit what Srila Prabhupada did in ISKCON. You can't you can't really get an exact match. Because when Rupa Goswami's talking about diksha, he's talking about all five things happening at once. Now, sometimes we do that. Prabhupada got, you know, Actually, it was Bhaktisiddhanta also sometimes split it. Because Bhaktisiddhanta was also initiating people who were not born in Brahmin families. So he would also split the initiation. Not always. Prabhupada got both together, like Bhakti Swami got both together. But the, the, the tradition is that Harinam does not involve vows. That's the tradition. What about the connection with the Brahminical quality? Well, that's also a very good question, that the idea is that the guru should be testing the disciple for a year because traditionally diksha is only given to? Brahman, Satris, and Vaishas. Diksha is only given to Brahman, Satris, and Vaishas. And if somebody doesn't have those qualities, then they don't give them diksha. And traditionally also, only people with diksha could study the Vedas. You weren't allowed to touch the Vedas if you didn't have diksha. Whereas we go out and distribute Prabhupada's books on the street to everybody. 
Mm -hmm. We don't even, they don't even have to be vegetarian. Or to speak of anything else. All right, so now you're more confused than you were when you came? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know these details. I think it's very good to it's know. It's very good yeah. to know. I mean, it's part of our lives. It is part of our lives, and I think it helps make things clearer. Mm -hmm. uh, but, I mean, today's Bhakti Siddhanta's appearance day. I mean, Bhakti Siddhanta was part of his revolution was that he was giving diksha to people who were not born in high-class families. He only had maybe two or three Western disciples, but he gave, you know, and he was uh, very, so much criticized for that. People tried to kill him. People tried to kill him. And Prabhupada says one of his missions is to show that Krishna consciousness is not limited by the body. Actually, Prabhupada said that in relationship I'm sure he said it in many other places too, but at least one time he said it in relationship to women preaching. What? Women preaching. The prophet said, we want women preaching because we want to show that we, this is my mission, he said. I'm paraphrasing. He said, this is my mission to show that Krishna consciousness is not dependent on the body. So sometimes people say, oh, we just let women preach nowadays because of women's liberation and we have to just make a concession for women. But that was actually Prabhupada's mission that Prabhupada wanted there to be preachers from all different body types to show that. Prabhupada wanted to demonstrate that spiritual life is not a question of birth or body. But that's a very interesting question because uh, in our tradition there are certainly women preachers, but they weren't half the, they weren't half the preachers. They weren't? They weren't 50%. Yeah. So women are approximately 50% of the population. And we don't have 50%. It's more like 20 to 30%. If you look at the diksha lines, you're looking at 20 to 30% of them are women. Um, there are some. There are some. And also the... And there are still some, you know, in, in other Gaudiya lines. There certainly are some. If you look at historically, like Bhaktivinoda Thakur's Diksha line, there's four women in it. As far as major preachers, then you're look then it's a very small number. Of course, Bangladesh is very much influenced by Muslims. Probably has something to do with it. Yeah, some, somehow Hindus seem, seem to absorb whatever it's, they think yeah. it's favorable for male domination, and they leave their yeah. own Yeah, so that's. Aside. It's. I think it's a little difficult to look at what's going on in India today, and see, you know, which of it's coming from the British, which of it's coming from the Muslims, yeah. which of it's coming from whatever. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Although not as much as Bangladesh. Bangladesh is a Muslim country. By the way, Mohammed was very um, liberal with women. So that's not even coming from Mohammed. Yeah. Mo Mo Mohammed really um, opened things up for women. His first disciple was a woman. So that was about 100 years after his death. Then they started reinstituting um, blocks on women again. They, start, they kind of kept put, they put it back in the society. But India, like when Akbar was there, Akbar was ruling over India, he was liberal. He was very liberal. Yes. But you do see in our tradition, I mean, there was Ganga Mata Goswamini. 
There's uh, Himalata. What, I mean, Janava was the, was the Acharya. That's rare. To find a woman who was a, an Acharya is very unusual. The, I mean, you've got Lakshmi, who's the head of a Sampradaya. You've got Janava, who was the Acharya of the Gaudiyas. And you have Alvar in the, of the Sri. That's, I think those are the only lady who's, who were Acharyas. So that's a very unusual for the women to be Acharyas. They certainly had women preachers. It mentioned in the Bhagavatam of uh, two women impersonals preachers. And then one of the main preachers in the four Vedas is Gargi. So there have definitely been women preachers and teachers, although they haven't been close to 50% of them. I think we can say that in, our, that in our tradition, we've always had women preachers, which you can't say like in Catholicism or Judaism or something like that. All right, so if we're going to think about who's senior, these are a number of things that we can look at. We were talking about senior. There was a real shift in ISKCON in 1975, and we're still kind of recovering from that. 75. In 1975, there was a, a, a big push to denigrate women in grahastas. And you have many, 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 many devotees who were trained in ISKCON during that time. So like from 75 to, you know, mid-90s practically. And people who are trained during that time, they think that's the way it is. And when people are trained in a certain way, I think I mentioned this in class the other day. I told you my husband liked to have strawberry shortcake the way his mother made it. Remember that? However we're trained when we're young, we tend to think that's the way it's supposed to be. So whatever training people get when they're new devotees, they tend to think that that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, you're a new devotee. You, you, don't, you don't necessarily go up to the, your authorities all the time and say, is that in the Shastra? <laughs> is, take it for is granted. that what Prabhupada said? Yeah, you know, you're, when I joined the movement, I figured that all of the leaders were pure devotees. I thought all the temple presidents and all the GDC and all the sannyasis, they were all pure devotees. And I thought anyone with a position, we're talking about who's senior by position, anybody who had a position must be very advanced. And anything they told me, I pretty much thought it must be correct. I thought it must be the absolute truth. <laughs> I might have argued with it, but then I thought I was arguing with Krishna consciousness, not with them. So if I disagreed with something they said, then that gave me a doubt in Krishna consciousness. It was a few years before I said, wait a minute, Krishna consciousness and the teachings and the behavior of people in a position may not be the same. That was a real crisis that I, I think everybody has to go through that crisis at some point or another. You know, everybody. If, if you're going to stay in Krishna consciousness, sooner or later you will go through that test where you'll see that the teachings or the behavior of people that you thought were senior are not Krishna conscious. And you'll have to separate in your mind Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra from anything that comes out of the mouth of anybody who has a position in this country. But they don't always necessarily match. And if you haven't yet gone through that, you will. <laughs> and some mm -hmm. people, when they go through that, they leave. But you will go through You'll have to see that. So anyway, yeah, the, what happens is when you come and you're trained, whoever's training you, you tend to think that what, you don't necessarily ask, what's your reference for this? Where are you getting this from? What's this based on? You don't feel that you have the right to ask that. You're afraid of being offensive or whatever. Or you just don't even think to ask it. You just figure whatever they're telling you is true. 
And so you just don't ask. And if they train you in a particular way, then if later on, if 10 years later or 15 years later, someone says, wait a minute, the way you were trained is not correct, this is actually what Prabhupada did, then it's, it's hard to accept it. Then you tend to think that that other person is deviating and you, your original person was correct. So we're, we're dealing with that to some extent as a society, that there were things introduced into the society. You know, that's always going to happen. There'll be things introduced into the society that are not quite right, but they tend to get stuck. Anyway, whatever for chance. All right, so how would you treat senior devotees who don't have Bhakti Shastri degrees? So you're now going to have your Bhakti Shastri degree? <laughs> and you got it from the MI? <laughs> you got it from the spiritual world? That person just got there some Radhadesh? <laughs> <laughs> or that person doesn't have a Bhakti Shastri at all, or maybe that person hasn't even read Bhagavad Gita. You know there are people who hang around in the Krishna consciousness movement for 30 years and they've never read Bhagavad Gita. Did you know that? Amazing, huh? You yes. guys can't believe that such a thing could be true, but it is. So how, how we, So let's say you've got somebody and they're a senior to you in one of those ways at least, but they don't have much Shastric knowledge. How do you treat them? With respect, anyway. You should never... Yeah? I like that answer. I was recently, very foolishly, got into an argument with somebody. A, dis a discussion slash argument. And I knew it was foolish anyway, but I, I thought maybe I can convince him. <laughs> anyway, uh, so as we were discussing, he said several times, I'm not a scholar. Well, I'm not a scholar. And there was one Maharaj in the room who is one of the top scholars in ISKCON. And he said, oh, Prabhu, well, but this is what, you know, what Ermi was saying is right. This is what's in the Shastra. And he's saying, well, maybe it is. <laughs> I thought, here you have one of the top scholars in the movement telling you it's in the Shastra, and still you won't accept it. And he was saying, I don't know the Shastra. He said several times, I don't really know Shastra. I'm not a scholar. I don't really know Shastra. And he said, well, this is what it says in the Shastra. He said, where in the Shastra? So this Marshal saying, it says in this place, this place, this place, this place. Oh, well, I'll have to look it up, he says. <laughs> and you know he's never going to look it up. So if somebody isn't learned in the Shastra, then don't take their opinion about Shastra. Yeah. Simple. We take the good and leave the bad. Exactly. So everybody has something you can learn. Even you might just learn from them what not to do. Yeah. Everyone has something you can learn from. But you can't learn everything from everybody. Even, you know, people who know Shastra, they probably don't know all the Shastras. I don't know anyone who knows all the Shastras except for God. Well, that, let, let's get to that in a minute. But let's look, just look at Shastra. Just like Gopi Puranadana is one of the top... <laughs> one of the top scholars in ISKCON, and he has a service he does on, by email where you can write him questions and he'll answer them. And sometimes people ask him a question, he'll say, I don't know. 
And sometimes he'll say, I'm not familiar with those Shastras. Right? What so, is that? Hmm? What is that to dress? <laughs> I, I, I have it. Q&A something. Anyway, devotees ask him Shastra. But sometimes devotees ask him things and he'll say, I don't know. I'm not familiar with that. I don't know. So Srila Prabhupada didn't know all of the, every single Purana. Uh, so God is, is Vedantic Vedavit. He knows everything. Even it says in the Bhagavatam that Vyasadeva may know or may not know. <laughs> and he compiled all the Vedas. So people are, everyone has some expertise in something. Maybe, if, maybe there's somebody who has no expertise in anything, but let's just say everyone knows something about something. <laughs> Prabhupada said all devotees should know something of everything and everything of something. Did you know that? Devotees should know something of everything and everything of something. Have some area where you have some, of course you'll never know everything of something, but have some area where you have expertise so you can listen to someone in their area of expertise. Yes? Yeah, yeah. He says, I have never met a man so ignorant that I couldn't learn something from him. There you go. So you can learn something. I mean, in the 11th canto, the, the gurus are the trees and the birds and the earth and the mountains. And so we can learn something. You can learn something from the dogs. Seneca Pandit said you can learn things from the dogs. So we can learn something from everybody. So that takes some discrimination. What can I learn from you and what can't I learn from you? Does that make sense? And there, if, suppose, so suppose you meet somebody, though this is something that's tricky. Suppose you meet somebody where you have more expertise in an area than they do, but they, because they're senior to you in some way, they don't respect your expertise and they're trying to tell you that they know more even though they don't know more about that. So then what do you do? accept silently and with respect move away. <laughs> <laughs> Bhagavatam says you say yes, yes, and then you do your own business. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's why Jiva Goswami was pushed out of Vrindavan because, I mean, it's the whole lila, but you don't, the point is not in argument. Yes. Generally. <laughs> Generally. So if there is some circumstance where you know that you know more than somebody else in a certain area, but in some other way they're senior to you and they don't respect that you know more, then generally you just... <laughs> generally. Generally. All right. Isn't that, even if they're not senior to you, you just don't want to listen to them? Well, we talked about that with the austerities of speech. What are the austerities of speech? Who can remember the austerities of speech? Uh, yes? To be polite and... Uh, Beneficial. And the others? Pleasing. Truthful. Truthful. Not agitating to others and based on the Vedas. So not agitating to others is the language. The language should be pleasing. Pleasing is the content of what you're saying. Of course, Prabhupada says you can say unpleasing things to someone if they're your student. someone is your student, you better say things to them that are not pleasing. 
Otherwise, you can't train them. It's impossible to train somebody if you only say things that are pleasing. Right? Sometimes you have to say this is wrong. But what is then? And sometimes if things are, if sometimes you don't want to speak the truth. Do you always want to speak the truth? No. No. If it's hurting others, you don't speak the truth. Generally, if if the truth would hurt others, then you are. What? What do you do? Huh? Truth may be violent to others. If the truth is going to be violent, then what should you say? Or usually? You know, generally, you say nothing. Generally, you're silent. What is the violence? What's violence? Harmful. Hurting others. Hurting others. Sometimes the truth will be will hurt others. What about circumstances and that you see that if you will, even if you hurt others, you can prevent them from getting even more hurt. From that's only if they're receptive. So that's the point. Mm. If the person's not receptive, you won't be able to help them. Better to be silent. If the person's not going to hear you. The person may be officially your student, but they're not receptive. Mm. And a person may not officially be your student and be receptive. Or, as I was saying, you know, you're my students right now, but you're not going to be my students at 2 o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> I can't walk up to any of you in the temple at 2 o'clock and say, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> you, you understand? You could. No, I couldn't. Because we wouldn't have established that contract. We have a contract right now. Right now we're working on a contract. And any of you can get up and leave. Of course, you're trained that you're not supposed to leave in the middle of the class. But you could certainly leave mentally. <laughs> we do that sometimes. I'm sure you do. <laughs> so Even though we don't want, but sometimes it does. Well, sometimes you probably do want. But <laughs> if I say something in the class that you think is bogus, then you probably leave mentally. You probably just say, I'm not going to accept that. Right? But we have a contract just for this class. We don't have a contract outside of this class. So I can say unpleasing truths in this class, and I have said a number of them. But I won't necessarily go up to you as an individual and say the same thing. See, I know in a class, again, first of all, we have a contract. And second of all, you can always think I'm not talking about you. Whereas if I'm talking just to you, it's pretty hard to think I'm not talking about you. I say, well, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about somebody else. And then your mind goes, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, now let's go on to um, a few more things. Are, are we happy with that about how to treat senior people who don't have Bhakti Shastri and we talked about who's senior? Was this helpful for you? Yes. Going over this? And we went on some tangents, but I think they're all within the Bhakti Shastri, right? Okay, good. So now going on to the next mantra of, ne of nectar of instruction. So this first in nectar of instruction, it tells you didati, pratigranati, the six loving exchanges, correct? Then Rupa Goswami tells you with whom to have those six loving exchanges. So then he's talking about Harinam and Diksha and the Uttama Adhikari. And th so then, he t then he's telling you how to judge with whom to have those exchanges. Just like revealing your mind in confidence you reveal your mind and confidence depending on how advanced the other person is and how advanced you are in your relationship with them. Then after that, he says how not to judge a Vaishnava. And he says, don't judge a Vaishnava by their... Uh, outward, uh, 
by something physical. He talks even about what? Even if they have some disease or some um, deformity. So if their body's deformed. I, I read something really interesting recently about that. That if somebody is born deformed, we tend to stay away from them more if they got deformed through an accident. I was also talking about mental illness. And it was saying that if a person says, oh, my mental illness, don't know what mental illness is? People like schizophrenic or bipolar or paranoid. If someone says, my mental illness is biological, it's a biological disease, we tend to stay away from them more and judge them more harshly than if they say, oh, I'm mentally ill because I was abused when I was a child. Yeah, because that gives pity. Well, what the researchers concluded is that if somebody's born in a certain way, we tend to think that they're other, they're, they're, they're not one of us. Yeah, they're not one of us. We yep. tend to identify with them. Yes, in order to have a relationship with someone, there has to be something in common. Therefore, chincha beta beta tattva. We're one with Krishna and we're different from Krishna. You can't have a relationship with somebody unless there's something in common with them. And the more you have in common with somebody, the more you feel you can have a relationship with them. And the more you trust them. Like we tend to automatically trust people in our family. Or we tend to trust people more who are from our country. Or from our part of the country. Or somebody of the same race or someone of the same gender, or someone of a similar age, or someone who's had similar life experiences, or someone of the same religion, when there's something in common. So when a person is born deformed, we often tend to think of them as if they're another species. And, and we tend not to trust them so much. So Rupa Goswami is saying, even if someone's deformed, even if someone's deformed or someone's diseased, that that's not how you judge seniority. You don't judge seniority by the body. And even we were talking about senior by age. So every culture, let's say every culture, maybe there's some that don't. Let's say every culture gives respect to people who are older. Generally speaking. Generally. But, you know, Sukadev Goswami was teaching his father. He was 16 years old and his father was listening. His father, who's the compiler of the, of the Vedas, was listening. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I've seen... Uh, some people who are Indian body, Brahmins by birth, they've memorized the whole Bhagavad Gita, and they're taking Diksha from a younger Western Iskan guru. Interesting. I, I really, I find that very interesting when I've seen that. You know, somebody who's really, 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 really highly qualified, who's senior in so many respects, but they'll become the disciple of somebody who's younger than them, you know, who's not brought up in the culture. Right? You've all seen this? You haven't seen it? Oh, just like in Chaupati, Radhanath Maharaj has some disciples who are born Madhva Brahmins mm -hmm. and born Sri Vaishnava Brahmins and who follow their whole life. You know, they're very strict mm -hmm. born Vaishnava Brahmins. And some of them are older than he is. So do we, I don't know, 
How would you rate ISKCON on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the best? How would you rate ISKCON in terms of do we judge Vaishnavas by external bodily features? <laughs> do we judge seniority by external bodily features? Is ISKCON the members of ISKCON or the management of ISKCON? Oh, goodness. <laughs> that, that's a problem. I was wondering if anybody was going to say that. And first thing is how do we define ISKCON? So what is ISKCON? Is ISKCON anybody who says, I'm a member of ISKCON? Is ISKCON somebody who's actively doing service? Is ISKCON somebody who's <laughs> following chanting 16 rounds, following the Four Ways Principles? Is ISKCON the management of ISKCON? And ISKCON's different in different parts of the world, too. Yeah. So ISKCON's radically different here as than in uh, Black Tibetan Tamana. Yes? That's a pretty good definition. That's, if you're a member of ISKCON, you accept that the GBC is the managers for ISKCON. What would you say, though, about people, and I, I agree with you, but then I always have this question. What about people who've been visiting a temple for 25 years, and they regularly do service in a temple? Um, they're chanting, they're offering their food, they're reading Prabhupada's books, they haven't taken initiation maybe, and they're, um, they don't even think about the GBC. Well, the GBC have no say over their personal lives. But if you say to them, and I member, are you a member of ISKCON? They say, oh yeah, like a life member? I just want to put that out there. But they're not, uh, not against. Well, aren't they considered a devotee? I mean, if they're serving in one... Devotees is, is, is a bigger category. Yeah, I mean, for 25 years, then... Devotees is a, is, a, is a different category. I'm sure we have some people in this con who aren't devotees, and there are some, I'm sure there are some devotees who aren't members of this con. Okay, yeah, yeah, we're... Okay, so we're going to talk about who's it. a devotee. Yeah, I get That's a whole different discussion. Yes, I'm sure there are Christians who are devotees. But anyway, just to put that out there, this is something that the GBC and the leaders have been talking about for a long time, is what in the world is ISKCON and who's a member of ISKCON. And, and I, don't think that, I don't think we're going to reach an agreement where every person who says there's a member, they are a member of ISKCON agrees on what is a member of ISKCON. But let's, let's just talk about ISKCON as the officially uh, owned properties and organization that is directly under the legal control of the GBC and what goes on in those places. So let's define ISKCON like that. That would be simple. Can we do that just for the purpose of this discussion, which is something here I'm supposed to discuss? So I'm being a good teacher and following my orders here. So let, let's not count as ISKCON people who are initiated by ISKCON gurus, but who don't really have much to do with the temple and what they do in their own homes and what programs they do in their own homes and, and things like that. Let's just say on ISKCON properties and ISKCON, official ISKCON programs that are under the authority of the GBC, any score for our movement as how do we do in terms of seeing Vaishnava's seniority in terms of bodily considerations? I'm going to give it a five. You're going to give it a five? Right you give it a five. Anybody else want to give a score? Is that an eight? How do we it's a useless question. We'll complain to actual Krishna Prabhu about that. 
how do we see? I need a cl clarification on the question. Like, how do we? Do see we have a ten? Ten is like, we see it. We're good, or we see it good. Or I don't know. And well, and a ten would be a society where there is no bodily consideration whatsoever, as far as how we view Vaishnavas in terms of their being Vaishnavas. But obviously, there has to, to be bodily. Out according to age, has to be age also would be out. Now, obviously, we have that to take. That doesn't mean it's proper, because we should respect age. It's in a shastra. So why is Sukadeva Goswami teaching his father? Because spiritual advance. Okay, so obviously age is a secondary. Exactly. But it well, obviously you ha you can't have a society that doesn't take bodily considerations into into uh, consideration. You can't I'm just say, okay, anybody can drive a car. We don't care if you're two years old or twenty years old. You know, if if you're crippled, you probably can't drive a car. Right. Unless it's a specially designed car. So when it comes to doing external service, obviously you have to take the body into account. You want artwork done by artists. You don't want artwork done by people who have no artistic talent. That doesn't make any sense. You don't want cars driven by two-year-olds. So that, that's a practical thing. You don't want to have, you know, ask that the bathroom be cleaned by somebody who has no arms. So if you're a deformed person, maybe you can't clean the bathrooms. Maybe you can't drive a truck. So I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about how we, how we view Vaishnav advancement. Is there a tendency to view advancement in terms of the body? Does that exist in ISKCON? Does anyone would, any, would anyone say that it doesn't exist at all any place in this country? Okay, I like that point. She said we have Kanista Adhikaris who consider those things. So that's a very good point. And we are preaching movement, aren't we? If we're a preaching movement, then the majority of our members are going to be Kanista Adhikaris, always. Always. Like there's one letter where Prabhupada said we should stop making new devotees and just boil the milk. You've heard of that letter? But as long as we're making new devotees, then we're always going to have a large percentage of our movement is going to be made up of Kanista Adhikaris. And Kanista Adhikaris, that's part of the definition Prabhupada gives in Ishopanishad. They can't tell who's a devotee and who's not a devotee. Just like I said how when I joined, I thought if you had a position, you must be a pure devotee. I thought that way for two or three years. Or one of my friends at the manor told me how, um, you know, how some people wear those silk garlands from the Singadev? So some guest was seeing one devotee wearing a whole lot of those and said, oh, does that mean he's like a higher level? <laughs> so that tendency, you know, anyone who's a sannyasi or anyway, you know, the different or an old Indian man, or whatever. So I like that point. And I think as long as, as ISKCON is a preaching movement, that tendency to, to judge advancement according to body is always going to be there. So in, in Mark, if, like, for example, if you say eight, that means that ISKCON has a lot of consideration about the body. No, opposite. Ten would be the best. Ten would be no consideration. When talking about spiritual advancement. 
So then I would give two, or maybe two. <laughs> two or three. Yeah. So one would be the worst. One is the worst. One means that we're only determining spiritual advancement on the basis of the body, and ten is we don't determine it on the basis of the body at all. Three. Give us three. And obviously in different places of ISKCON, it's different. Yeah, somewhere it would definitely be like somewhere eight it's or somewhere it, And that depends a lot on the leadership. But, you know, it also depends on people like you and me. I mean, I have a, one more question about the question. Like, is, yeah. it, is it mean like average? Because if you look at the average on the earth, you, you get a lower percentage than if you look at the actual people who That's have true. the right vision. That's true. So I don't think we're trying to come up with something scientific. Yeah. Because what she said is I think it's just a question of, of, of exploring it and, you know, exploring how we... I mean, one thing one of my god sisters said to me the other day, and something that I've come to a long time ago, is if you sit around waiting for Iskhan to do something and one day look in the mirror and say, wait a minute, I'm Iskhan too. <laughs> and, and what can I do? And it is true that a lot of things are set by leadership. But it is also true that a lot of things can be set by the general members. And general members can influence leadership. It's happened a lot more than once. You know, and there's, there's a lot that general members can do even if the leadership aren't so inclined. So there's, there's a lot of things that we can do. And one of the reasons we study Bhakti Shastri, I want to give you your papers. Are you leaving now? Okay, because I have some essays to give you. I think one of the reasons that we study Bhakti Shastri is not only for our own purification, but also so that we can help the society become purified. So that, you, so that you know the Shastras. And, you know, you may not be able to convince everybody, but at least you can speak from the authority of Shastra. All right, boy, these are all, like, really heavy questions. Huh? What? Yeah, you didn't give yours. I didn't give my score? <laughs> I think it's about a six. About a six, six, seven. How about six to seven? I think we're really good about some of it and really bad about some of it. And certain places are better than others. We seem to, the gender thing seems to be just awful in many places. Um, the racial, ethnic, national thing seems to be pretty good in most places. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty rare to go to a place in ISKCON where people don't put aside the racial, ethnic, gender thing. It happens, but that's unusual in my experience. You said gender. Gender, I think, is a real problem in many places. Some places. Some places. And I think the age thing is a real problem, just like I was saying about group coolies. People who've been born in devotee families and they're raised in devotee families, they've been Krishna conscious their whole life, their whole body's made of prasadam. You know, and just because they're younger, they're, they're not seen as senior. And it's, and I see that that's one of the most discouraging things for a lot of the Gurukulis. Hmm. You know, they're, they're often treated like kids. And they're 20-year devotees. You know, they've been a devotee for 20, 25 years. Especially if they've really been raised nicely. Hmm? Well, but you look at them individually. But, I mean, I've seen Gurukulis who are very fixed-up devotees. And, and very knowledgeable, especially those who were trained in, you know, Gurukulas. And they, they know the Shastras. I mean, all my students from secondary school got a Bhakti Shastri degree. 
Every one of my secondary students got a Bhakti Shastri degree. So, you know, by the time they were 16, they had their Bhakti Shastri. They'd been studying Prabhupada's books their whole life. And they're, they're treated like kids. You know, they're 16. But they, they know Prabhupada's books better than people who've been in the movement for 20 years. And they've never broken the principles. And, and yet they're treated just like kids. No one takes their opinion seriously. And that's, that's hard. That's hard. A lot of times they just get discouraged and say, why should I... You know, why should I do anything when nobody takes me seriously? It's, it's hard to have, you know, to have some expertise and some knowledge. And so I see that as a problem. I see definitely that as a problem. And, and I'm not the only one who sees that. And there are other people who are trying to bring in more of the youth who've been brought up in the movement into positions of leadership and positions of responsibility. But I, it's a problem I hear a lot from the youth that they often feel like they're. You know, they're, they're treated on the same level as someone their age who's a new bhakta. You know, somebody who just stopped smoking marijuana last week is, is treated the same way as they are. Okay, we have some more here deep, intense, heavy questions that they want us to discuss. <laughs> discuss appropriate attitudes towards Vaishnavas outside of ISKCON is the next thing on the list. You mean Vaishnavas that are not part of ISKCON? Okay, and if we're going to define ISKCON as accepting the authority of the GBC, why don't we just do that? Why don't we define ISKCON as accepting the authority of the GBC? Well, that makes it even harder. But that's a very simple way to define ISKCON, and, I, and for this purpose I like that definition. Because there are many people who say they're part of ISKCON when they're really just in another group and they're not under the authority of the GBC. So let's just say anyone who's accepted the authority of the GBC That doesn't mean that you accept the authority of the GBC as good as Shastra. Because even the GBC members don't accept the authority of the GBC as good as Shastra. <laughs> but let's say people who are Vaishnavas, but who have not accepted the authority of the GBC, and they are in maybe in some other Vaishnava group. What's, mm -hmm. appropriate, what's an appropriate attitude towards such Vaishnavas? Hmm? Same as to what? Respect them, but not listen to their class. Respect them in the mind. Do you show any external respect? Yeah, we should be polite. Prabhupada said we should offer obeisances even to a mayavadi sannyasi. He said if you see a sannyasi and you don't offer your obeisances, you should fast for the day. <laughs> and that's true even if they're an impersonalist. Okay. But we should be careful about uh, taking instructions from them. Because of all of the... Why should we be careful about taking instructions from them? Because they're all rascal deviants who are going to hell? Because of the mood. Because they have di their different findings, different moods, so we can get confused. Other than that, we should... If they're Vaishnavas, we should say, like, full obeisance in mind, words, body, everything, but be very careful not to get confused. Yeah? Um, initially we have um, different Vaishnavas from different places, and actually we are all working together and trying to respect each other, and it seems it's working. I've so seen that work in some places. 
but I had never seen it work in everything. So I've never seen it work in everything because even different Vaishnava groups have different ways of doing kirtan. Mm -hmm. So if different Vaishnava groups are coming to an ISKCON center and agreeing that while they're in the ISKCON center they're going to follow the GBC's authority and they're going to do things the way the Prabhupada said, then yeah, that's not a problem. But if you have a meeting of all different Vaishnavas from all different groups, just to decide how you're going to do the kirtan will be a problem because they have different ways of doing kirtan. For example, there's other Vaishnava groups that break the Hare Krishna mantra up into two parts. They'll sing Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Then everybody says Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Then they sing Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And then everybody says Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Now I know sometimes in Iskan Kirtans, they do that. They'll say like Hare Krishna. Everybody says Hare Krishna. And they say Hare Krishna. Right? You heard that? Yeah. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Yeah, but that's not general. It's not general. It's not general. I have, I don't know if I've ever heard that in a temple room. Oh, I just read that. You've heard that in a temple? Even here in my... You've heard people... But anyway, I think it's hard to cooperate because even the kirtan standards are different. They are. They just are. Any other thoughts on appropriate attitudes towards Vaishnavas outside of this one? Yes? No. <laughs> Where's our gun? You shoot on people. As long as honest as long as you stick there. As long as your truthfulness is beneficial, yes. No. If your truthfulness okay. is not beneficial, better to be just silent. Kind of confused in my mind. Okay. I'm gonna name like Okay, so let me, let me just give you my own take in general. So if you enroll in a particular school, if you enroll, so you're from Britain, right? So if you enroll in Oxford, and someone else is enrolled in Cambridge. So Oxford and Cambridge are both good schools. But they're going to teach things a little differently. Or even different professors teach things a little differently. I'm sure I teach a little differently than Nanda. Right? So when you're in my class, you're going to have to do with the way I teach it. If one of you says, but Armila, Nanda didn't teach it like that. <laughs> I'll, I'll be annoyed. I mean, unless you say, hey, you know, Nanda had a really good idea, maybe you'd like to use it. Then I'll be appreciative. Or if you say, but Armila, in the lesson plan that came from the MI, it says you're supposed to do this right now. And you're not. It's 11, it's 11.38. And according to the lesson plan, at 11.38, this is what you're supposed to be discussing. I would just be annoyed. I'd say, hey, it's my class. I'm going to run it my way. You know, you don't like it, get out of here. And, and different teachers are going to use different textbooks. You know, even if you're teaching mathematics, there's different mathematics textbooks. 
and different teachers will teach things in different order. Just like the Bhakti Sastri class they do here, they have things in what for me is a very odd order. Like I looked at my first lesson and said, where's chapter 13? It's gone. And so I put it back in. And then later, Shamalasaki came up to me and said, oh, I already taught that in unit two. I went, oh, okay. So here they have, they don't, they're not teaching things in the order of the books. They're teaching things out of order. But until Krishna Prabhu told me that most of the teachers just come and teach it in order anyway. <laughs> so is one right and is one wrong? Is it wrong to teach thematically or wrong to teach in order? But different people have different tastes. Or like I taught the other classes with PowerPoints, and this one I'm not using a PowerPoint. Pooja asked me three times a day, do you need me to bring over the computer? I said, no, I'm not using my computer today. And then five minutes later, do you need me to bring over the computer? I said, no, I'm not using the computer. So imagine if I set up with the PowerPoint and you said, Lakshmi Moni didn't use PowerPoints. She just taught outside. You're in Maya. <laughs> so there's different teachers, and different teachers have different ways of teaching and different moods. So the question is, is this person following the Siddhanta? If you want to decide, are they a Vaishnava? Are they following the Siddhanta? And this will be really cool if anybody knows this. When I gave that class on Ishopanishad introduction, there was a list there that I showed you very briefly. And I said, this is a list that according to somebody are the absolute truths upon which everyone should agree. Anybody remember who wrote that list and what the name of the list is? <laughs> Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Oh, I wish I had a sweet to give you. Dashmula Tattva. So Bhaktivinoda Thakur wrote this Dasmula Tattva. Mula means root, Das means ten, Tattva means truth. The ten essential truths. So at least if you're a Gaudiya, you need to agree with those ten essential truths. For the other four Sampradayas, the other three Sampradayas, or if you want to count Madhva as a fourth, they don't all agree with those. The Madhvas agree with eight out of ten. I think the others agree with nine out of ten. So you want to see, is somebody following the Siddhanta? So that's the first thing. Are they following the Siddhanta? Are they teaching it in a different way? Are they emphasizing different things? Are they teaching a different order? Now, everyone tends to think that their teacher is the best and the way their teacher teaches it. It's like you think the way your mother made strawberry shortcake is the way it has to be done. For all eternity. Hmm? For all eternity. For all eternity and all <laughs> living entities. But we see that on the earth there's different systems of religion altogether. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur talks about not disrespecting any other system of religion. And these different systems of religion exist because people have different mentalities. And not everybody is, is going to accept the top system of religion. And then even in the top system of religion, different people are going to have different mentalities. So that's how I see it. Now, if there's another teacher who's criticizing my teacher, you know, then I probably don't want to associate with that person. Can I learn from other teachers who may have a different mood from my teacher? Yeah, maybe. As long as I'm really, really, really schooled in who my teacher is. You asked before, can I read things about Christianity or Judaism or Islam? And, and my response to you, do you remember my response to you? Get, get, get really grounded. Get really, really grounded 
you know, if you make a commitment, if you if you choose, and this is a voluntary thing, if you say, I choose to approach the absolute truth through Vaishnava theology, you can choose to approach the absolute truth through Islam if you want to, you know, you're an individual living entity. You have a choice. If you say, I choose to approach the absolute truth through Vaishnava theology, and I choose to approach the absolute truth through Gaudiya Vaishnava philosophy, and I choose to approach the absolute truth through the followers of Bhakti Siddhanta, we're getting narrower and narrower here, and I choose to approach the absolute truth through Srila Prabhupada, and you enroll in that university, then, you know, your, your professors aren't going to be very pleased if you're always coming to them saying how they do it in another university and telling them to change. Then they're going to say, why don't you just go to that other university then, if you don't like it here? Why don't you switch? Just, just drop out of this university and enroll in another university. Now, between universities, sometimes there's some friendly competition. Right? Sometimes different universities criticize each other. Isn't that correct? Yeah. But, but the professors, I, I, don't, I don't know. Let's just not even ask what it is. Let's just say that different people are going to be willing and able to do different things and are going to be attracted to different things. And therefore, you see that e if you even look in the Vedic religion, you'll see there's many, you, in the Vedic religion, there's demigod worship. There's animal sacrifice for Durga. There's karmakanda. There's something for everybody. Vedic religion is a vast superstore. You know, it's not like this, you know, some of these other religions, they're just like one of these little shops in Navadvip that only sell, you know, plastic shoes. It's all you can buy in that shop. And Vedic religion is like a huge superstore where you can get anything in the Vedas. And we see that Krishna has different systems of religion for different people at different times, of different inclinations, so that there's something for everybody can start. And even among the Vaishnavas, why four sampradayas? Why are there four sampradayas? There are some differences. So there can be some friendly competition between schools. Sometimes schools have football games between them. And, you know, but ideally, the professors from different schools can get together and, and meet on a higher level. Now, when the competition gets ugly, that's a problem. You know, when the competition gets ugly, if people from Cambridge are going into Oxford and trying to steal the students out of the classroom, that's a problem. And that's, you know, that's what we've had to face that. Because Prabhupada is very successful. I think that Prabhupada is, is uh, objectively speaking, he's the most successful preacher of Gaudiya Vaishnavism uh, since Gaudiya Vaishnavism has existed. You know, maybe Narada Muni is as successful a preacher as Srila Prabhupada, but that was a long time ago. <laughs> I don't think we've had anybody who's preached as extensively as Srila Prabhupada, you know, anywhere in the last thousands of years. And if we're talking about the philosophy of Lord Chaitanya, he's the most successful. So whenever somebody is successful, people try to piggyback. <laughs> you know, just like you go to one place and there'll be lots of tire stores. You go to another place, isn't it? There's lots of clothing stores all together. So I think our, our main, you know, the main problems we have as a society is when people are criticizing Prabhupada when they're, obviously, even people in ISKCON often criticize the GBC, even the GBC criticize the GBC. <laughs> I was just recently 
in a, in a little gathering where there were GBC members and gurus and they were openly criticizing some GBC rules, which was interesting. And it was being recorded, which was really interesting. <laughs> so I was talking to one town president recently and he was saying, how do I uphold the GBC rules? I said, it's kind of hard when the GBC say something in a, in a public meeting that's being recorded where they're criticizing one of the rules that they passed. So, I mean, even in ISKCON, it's not that everybody is just blindly obedient to everything in the GBC. But although we may criticize some things, still we follow and we cooperate. So if somebody is, is just condemning ISKCON and condemning the GBC and condemning everybody in ISKCON and even saying very derogatory things about Srila Prabhupada, then, you know, that's just common sense that you don't hang out with such people. It's like if somebody's really criticizing your mother and father. You know, you may, you may even see that your mother and father have some faults, but or really criticizing your husband. You know, you may see your husband has some faults, but if somebody's coming up to you and say, oh, your husband is a this and a that and the other thing. Well, the practical, what, you know, what practically happens in most places in Islam <coughs> most of the time is that things are judged individually. It's not that in Oxford they have a policy that nobody from Cambridge can attend the football games. You know, but if they start beating up the other students, then that's a problem. So we've definitely had problems with people trying to take people out of ISKCON and take ISKCON properties and, you know, basically take what belongs to Prabhupada and is under the authority of the GBC. And this applies not just to other people under other Gaudiya Gurus, it applies to, say, the Ritvik group. Where, yeah, where they have, they have taken two ISKCON properties. Maybe more, but at least two, Long Island and Bangalore. And they've just taken them. They found some legal loophole where they could do it. So they took properties that were purchased with ISKCON money, where people gave donations so that it would be for ISKCON, and that it was you know, developed by people who wanted to give it to ISKCON, and they took it to use it for something else. Bangalore, Bangalore and, and mm -hmm. Long Island were both in that category. And we had some problems with Calcutta for a while. So that's a problem. You know, you know what, I really, I personally, Ormila Devi Dasi would like to let Krishna decide that. Oh, that's mm. Ormila Devi Dasi's opinion. Other people may have another opinion, but Ormila Devi Dasi's opinion is that I really am trying hard to get to that place right there. <laughs> I'm really trying, and, and I fail over and over again, but I'm, I'm really, really trying to be free from the propensity to criticize others. So as far as individual people, I don't know. I'm not in their heart. How do I know? Let Krishna deal with them. Let him decide. He's good at that. He's God. He can be God. I don't have to be God. Isn't that a relief? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to be God. Great. You know, but if somebody's criticizing my teacher, and if somebody's criticizing all the people that I associate with, then I'm not going to want to hang out with them or hear from them. To me, that's just like really, really simple. It's really, really simple. If somebody says, you know, and it's recorded, and I can see it on a video, nobody in ISKCON has any bhakti, then okay. You know, okay, fine. If that's how you feel, that's how you feel. And you can discuss that with God. But I'm not going to hang out with you. I'm not going to read your books. I'm not going to go to your classes. I'm not going to hang out with you. 
Now, if there are people who hang out with you that don't actually feel that way, and when you say, well, your teacher says that, and they said, well, he doesn't really mean it, and I don't think that way. So that's how I deal with things. I deal with things on an individual basis. If people are respectful, they're respectful. My feeling is at least when you visit someone's home, you should respect their home. So if someone comes in my house, I expect them not to criticize my own guru and my own process. And if they come in an ISKCON property, I expect them to be respectful. And I'm not going to, nor am I going to criticize their teacher and their process to them. That's not my business. My business isn't to go to Christians and criticize Jesus or that's not my business. That's not, you know, that, that to me is just etiquette. I don't go into someone's house and criticize their husband and their... Does that make sense? And if someone's going to do that, then they're not going to be welcome in my house. And I'm probably not going to want to go to their house. So that's just me. And whether or not some, this particular person is offensive or that, thank God I don't have to decide that. I, there's no reason in my life why I have to decide that. Is that person going back to God out of that? I don't know. I don't need to know. I have to worry about whether or not I'm free from the propensity to criticize others. That's enough work for me. That'll give me work for another few yugas. And, <laughs> you know, I'm busy enough. So that's my work is, am I chanting my rounds with attention? Am I chanting my Gayatri with attention? Am I doing my best to be a good Bhakti Shastri teacher for all of you? Am I preparing for my classes? You know, am I taking good care of my deities? Am I trying to get rid of the envy in my heart? That's a really big job. It's going to keep me busy for a long, 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 long time. So I don't really need to worry about whether you have envy in your heart. You know. Unless you're my student and you ask me. Then that becomes part of my responsibility. But they're not my students. Is that okay? Is that, is that helpful? I can, I can certainly say, you know, like I can look at Christians and say, I'm not going to hang out in their house while they're eating cows. How much genuine devotion do they have? How do I know? I can't speak on principle. I can't speak on principle. And I can say, this is the Siddhanta. This is the way Bhakti Siddhanta presented the Siddhanta. This is the way Srila Prabhupada presented the Siddhanta. This person says they're following Bhakti Sananta, but they're presenting the Sahanta differently. Do they have the right to do that by their own realization? How do I know? I don't have to worry about it unless I want to follow that person. And if I don't want to follow, I already have somebody I'm following. I already have a teacher. I'm, I, I, I don't need to. I'm not, you know, I'm already married. I'm not looking for another husband. I already have a guru. I'm not looking for another guru. <laughs> I'm already a member of a spiritual organization, which drives me nuts sometimes, but I'm not looking for another spiritual organization. I'm not in the market, so I don't need to make that determination. It's not necessary. And if somebody else is in that market and they're looking, then I just say, you know, you've got to look at the Shastra and you've got to look at the Acharyas and decide. Oh, so we have to go? Go to the Prospanjali. And tomorrow, remember, tomorrow we're going to meet at our regular time. So we got... We got half of our things discussed, so that was cool. So, 10.45 tomorrow. And remember that tomorrow, please, 13, 8 through 12, and 16, 1 through 3. And at the very, 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 very least, read those four pages in the manual. Okay? If you don't have time to do anything else.
We go four pages in the manual, and if you still have essays to turn in, please turn them in. Yeah, can I just make a few announcements, please? Just one minute, one minute. So let's do the, the test of three. Everybody is agree with us? Okay. Because I'm not sure how much time you need eating, so... Yeah, three is fine. Three? three not good. Three o'clock. Not good. And... Okay, then the rest I will do then. Let's go. <laughs> I, I, have, I have this list of contacts. If anyone hasn't filled it in, please do it, because I need to make copies today to give to you, you guys tomorrow. You weren't here before when I was talking about what I was doing. Okay, but anyway. What do you do? What? Contact. If you want to put your name now, it's okay. After the test, it's okay. What? Contact with numbers. You like that? Um.